So last night was very interesting for me, as you well know. At about a quarter past six when I was preparing my message, this dear man whose daughter was demonized and who was with us Saturday called me, and we had a long talk on the phone. And last night, I, I've never had any trouble quoting scripture in my life. As soon as I began to quote it, it was just a big blank spot. So we're going to attack the devil this morning. Attack, counter, attack. Right? Now I want to share something with you that the father shared with me. I send the father home. Uh, this girl came to us Saturday afternoon from a certain city. Well, it was Charlotte, actually. And uh, she'd been waking up in the night, screaming, terrible screams. And... Uh, this thing in her saying, I'm Satan, I'm Satan, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and I'm going to do everything else. Well, he took her to his pastor, a Southern Baptist pastor, and he said, of course, well, it's impossible for demons to indwell Christians, and your daughter's a Christian, so to the psychiatrist, to the hospital, to the drugs. Well, uh, and to three and a half thousand dollars of that dead end. So the father, he's a very fine man and a very intelligent man, and a man, I believe, who really knows the Lord. So he realized there was no future in this, that this was demonic. And uh, so he, uh, he got in touch with a certain preacher, and his daughter, when she was five, for some reason began to limp. And he took her to an orthopedic surgeon, and he said, there's nothing wrong with the leg. No reason why she should be limping. So she, she, she gradually uh, overcame this man. But in the home of this certain preacher who was praying for his daughter, his wife came in and laid hands on the girl and prayed in tongues and prayed for her. And when she finished, the girl got up and walked with a limp. Same limp that she had back when she was five. She's still about 28. And I'm sharing this with you because I know the father would want me to do that. And his wife saying something else with me. She's being the walk of the limb again. So he thought there's something wrong here, so he decided that he would inquire around. So there's a there's a pastor in in uh, Charlotte, and uh, he had a growth in his throat on one occasion. They didn't know if it was cancerous or what it was, but it was affecting his speech. So he came with a group of his people one night, all about three years ago. We prayed for him, and the Lord healed him and took it away. So he knew. Uh, that we at least knew the Lord can do things. He knew that much. So he said, well, you better get in touch with the Evangelical Institute. So he rang the information here for the Evangelical Institute, and they said, there's no such place. So then he said, well, I want the, the telephone number of Joseph Carroll, and they said, it's discontinued. <laughs> <laughs> Got onto a lady I know, I don't know who got onto Mrs. Meek and Charlotte. And uh, he said, Do you know Miss Carroll's telephone number? Dr. Carroll, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Devil must have told him that. <laughs> uh, anyway, so they gave him, uh, she gave him the telephone number. Here's an interesting thing. He said, I, now he's an intelligent man, he's, he's the head of the phys ed department of a big high school. He said, now I dialed that number very, very carefully. 
got a number in Kentucky. In Kentucky. This young Morris comes from Kentucky. <laughs> 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 so uh, we'll let it go at that. Uh, you know, here's, here's the thing to learn. Don't you think that demonic apparatus out there isn't highly organized? Don't you think that? Highly organized. These attendants on the telephone, no such thing as evangelical institutes. Well, that number is discontinued, not operated. Telephone to get something in Kentucky. Don't you think that system out there isn't highly organized? It is highly organized. Why did that demon want to go to Nigeria? He knows very well what's in Nigeria. It's a highly organized apparatus out there. It's an army. Principalities and powers. Ranks. Authorities. Highly organized. And after one thing in your life, what is it? What's the one, what is the one thing you're after all the time? Authority. Authority. The one thing you're after. They want you to give ground in your life to them so that they have authority over you in that area. What they're after all the time. And if you give it to them, they'll take it. They'll take it. Well, we spoke yesterday on security. Very important little lecture. Security. No demon has any authority in anybody's life who really knows the Lord unless that person gives him the authority. No way. The only authority any demon has in any life is what's been given to him. And the one thing you look for in a demonized person is the compulsion element. There's a compulsive element there. Once those demons get a certain amount of power in their life, that person will do things that they don't want to do. They're under another power. All right, now this girl gave authority to the enemy by reading a certain book. I haven't read it, and I haven't heard of it before. It's called Damien. D-A-M-I-E-N. Damien. And it was through that book, and reading it, that the enemy entered that girl, and all the other junk with him. It was very, very, very powerful demon. Well, we dealt with a lot of these characters. Uh, the afternoon for about four hours. And the girl was completely exhausted. The Damien was still there. So I told the father that she must go home. And I, I gave him a lot of basic instructions how to deal with this thing. And I said, you go home and, and fast and pray tomorrow with your wife. And then deal with this thing in the evening. So when we were, were, we were paying with this girl, exercising, Number of people spirits. Uh, she was a good girl. She started to pray and she, she promised the Lord she'd get rid of all her records. 
Now, we didn't bring up records at all. We didn't mention records. I didn't know she had any records. But this was the Spirit of God working in her heart. And she was confessing sin and getting right down to the bottom of things. I mean, she was getting down right down there. But then this demon would take her over and she'd get sleepy and she'd get tired. Of course, I've known demons to be just getting somewhere with a person and suddenly they fall asleep and collapse. They're just unconscious. Well, you have to rebuke the demon and bring them back to consciousness. She didn't go that far, but she was sleeping tired, but she was exhausted after four hours. Because it took three of us to hold her, otherwise she might have gone through the wall. So we let her go and told her father what to do about it. So he called me Sunday afternoon. Uh, I said, did you destroy it? No, I called him. All Sunday morning in the in this church service, I had a conviction maybe those records were not being dealt with. So I called him at two o'clock. I said, have the records been burned? He said, well, we can't burn anything in shot. <laughs> I said, well, they've been, they've been smashed. No, we took them out and we put them in the garage. He says, my other daughter, we have two daughters, but the other daughter next to this girl uh, wasn't very happy about it. She wanted to talk to me. So I said, fine, put her on. So she wasn't happy at all. She said, some of these are collector's items. You see, they're very, very valuable. <clears throat> you know, she was talking just like a sister when the sister was in there. As far as I'm concerned, you see, we, we, these characters, they'll hop out from one member of the family into the other in the big game, like playing chess. And I'm sure I was talking to them. She was talking exactly the same way as her sister was talking. So, of course, I let her know exactly what had to be done. She was playing around a bit, trying to get out of destroying these records. So I said, they must be destroyed, everyone, and now, and your father must do it, and it's his responsibility, not yours, because he is the head of the house. So put father back on, and he said, all right, I'll destroy them, right now. And he did. You know, their eyes, every she had piles. Bang, 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 destroyed the lot. So he goes back in and, you see, what what are you doing? This is what you're doing. You're cutting every tie that the demon has. You see, he has authority. Well, you must remove that authority. You must get rid of that authority. And until you do, he's not coming out. He's staying there. And what's more, he has got the authority to stay there. And God recognizes that authority. God is righteous. When Adam yielded to Satan, he was putting himself under Satan's authority, and God recognized that authority that Satan had over him because he's righteous. If you submit to Satan, you must accept the consequences. You're going to have, you're going to, have to suffer the consequences. It's only the blood of Christ which was shed as the price of redemption to buy us back out of the slave market of sin. It's the only reason we're here this morning. Otherwise, we'd still be under Satan's authority. It brings into sharp relief the fallacy of easy believism. The issue is not only what you believe, but the one under whose authority you live. That's why the devil's brought along a gospel. What is it? You don't have to repent. 
As I told you yesterday, William Booth, even in the last century, said in the 20th century, we'll have heaven without hell and salvation without repentance. Authority is the big word. And the only way the authority of Satan can be broken in a life is by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that you might be justified by his blood, that you might be redeemed by his blood. That's the only way that authority can be broken. And the only way it can be kept broken is to fill your life with what? The authority of Jesus Christ. So they can be kept broken. That's why the daily cross is such a necessity. Where the authority is given, it must be taken back. Alright, so I told the Father how to deal with this. And the way to deal with it is very simple. Although it took about 10 years for us to work out just the most direct way and the most effective way to deal with these things. The person must pray a prayer and ask for forgiveness for having given ground to whatever it is in the first place, in this case to Damien, because Damien is a demon. Damien had promised this girl, when she read the book, she entered into a world of fantasy, and he promised the girl that uh, he would make her famous and he'd do a lot of things for it. But of course, these demons being liars never do what they promise. And Satan promised Eve liberty and all she got was change. And that's all this dear girl got. She got change. Screaming like an animal. So the first must be the, the, the confession of sin and giving ground to this and the asking for cleansing by the blood of Christ, number one. Number two, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and since this would be the prayer they would pray, dear Heavenly Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I confess that I have given ground to this whatever spirit it is, and ask thy forgiveness. And next, I take back, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I take back all the ground that I ever gave you, you evil spirit. Name the name of the spirit, say uncleanness. Filth. I take back all the ground that I've ever given you. And I refuse you, I resist you, I reject you. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now it's an interesting thing that, yes, Yes, I refuse, I reject, I renounce you. No particular order. The first word is refuse, that's the big one. Refuse, reject, renounce you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You must go. You no longer have any part in me. You must go. Now, it's very important in dealing with a demonized person that they cooperate with you fully. In other words, when you are dealing with a demon and telling him to come out of his resisting, they must in their, in their, with their total being resist that thing in them and say, you must go, you cannot stay, you must go, so on. Alright. Now, usually, the prayer, it's rather simple for the person to pray the prayer until they get to, I resist you. 
And then very often a demon will take hold of the person and try to choke them. Doesn't want them to say that. That's where that resistance comes. Now here's something we found, especially with this girl. That every time we would come to that, whatever the demon was we're dealing with, and I would say, now you say, I resist you, <coughs> choke. Begin to choke. I mean choke. Not pussy for him. Now here's what gave her deliverance. Very important. So at that point I said, you say Jesus Christ is Lord. And she said, Jesus Christ is Lord. And immediately the power was broken. You couldn't choke him. Jesus Christ is Lord. So that's very powerful in the, in the realm of darkness. Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. And that would fend off those powers and they'd try to come back again, but you'd get the rest of the prayer out before they'd take over again. But that did give her enough space to really pray that prayer of renunciation and rejection. Now here's the important, well, it's not the important, but here is even the important thing to note. Right, then, the person who's delivering the person will say, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, your next evil spirit, I command you to manifest yourself. What is your name? What is your name? Now spirits, these spirits come out in their order. The weakest first. The weakest first. And sometimes they lie. But the Spirit of God will check you if they lie. You will know if they lie. You have to trust the Spirit of God for that. So the demon will manifest himself. Very often he will use the vocal cords of the person to say who he is. Sometimes it comes out very clearly, sometimes falteringly and sort of person half choking, but finally it comes out. And other times it just is an impression in the mind that one word will come to the mind, a strong impression in the mind of the person. That's the same thing. That's the same thing. So you must ask the person, is there a word that comes to your mind, a strong impression in your mind? And when that is so, then you address the demon by his name and command him in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to come out and command him when he comes out to go straight to the pit. That's where he goes. Now that's, we might say, an approach that does work. Now, what say if you command the demon to come out he just doesn't come out? All right? He must have authority in there and there must be some area that he still has to hold on to this person. And until the authority is broken, he doesn't have to come out. And what's more, he's not going to come out. Now, here's an important word. If any sort of an alliance has been made, ignorantly or otherwise, with the demon, the alliance must be broken. That's why in the early days and down the centuries, uh, it was the common thing to say if a person was converted, I renounce the devil and all his works. Of course, we've become sophisticated now and we don't say that. But that's important. We've become educated now. 
Therefore, we become ignorant, educated into ignorance. Why right, now this girl, every, every, well, not everything, but practically everything is out except Damien. He's the big fellow roaring around, screaming, kicking, trying to choke and all the rest of it. Yes. Yeah. I'm proceeding now with your lines. All right. All right. Now, he won't come out. Commanding him to come out, threatening him, tormenting him. How do you torment him? Well, you say, you're going to the lake of fire forever. This was a practice used in the early church, the early centuries of the church, where demons would not come out, they tormented them. They said, you're going into the lake of fire, and there you will be tormented day and night forever. There will be no cessation. You will never come out of that, and so on. And they don't like that, especially a demon of fear. A demon of fear is afraid. It's interesting. That's why he makes... <laughs> he is. He's afraid. And that's why he makes the person afraid in whom he dwells. See, his, his, his fear is imparted to the person in whom he dwells. They become afraid. The fear of fear. He's scared to death himself. And the spirit of filth, who is the bottom of the list in all sexual filth, he's mad at the others. Because when they come out in some strange way, they dump what they don't want on him. He's got the lot. He doesn't like them. Very interesting world out there. All right. Now, don't you forget this. Every connection must be broken. None left. Not one line. Remember the illustration of the big liner tied up at the pier? 80,000 ton Queen Mary. Maybe 20 lines. Big horses out there tying that boat to the pier. You can let 19 go, but if you leave one, it's still not putting out the sea. That one is enough to hold it there. Every line must be broken. Every connection must be severed. I mean every connection. They must be renounced. Now here's the interesting thing. Damien's playing games and at the big time screaming his head off in the house all night until one of the daughters came to the father and she said there are two more records. Two records that I didn't give you. So he took the two records, went outside and smashed them, came in, spoke to them in, out he came. Two records, that's all. But that's where he had his authority. He had his authority in those records. Because he'd been playing those records and playing them and playing them. The more she plays them, the more he takes hold of them. And that's where his authority was. As well as in the books, he had to announce the book. So she had to pray a prayer something like this. I cut and sever all soul and psychic force with Damien. I cut, and it's a very important statement. I cut and sever all soul and psychic force with Damien.
As soon as she, as soon as they broke the records, and as soon as she said that, out he came. He didn't stay another minute. He couldn't. His authority's gone. It's broken. It's smashed. And so there's perhaps one or two left. Father called me this morning again, and I spoke to him. But the girl is almost delivered. Almost. We must pray for today as the Lord lays her on your heart. Uh, she's almost delivered. There's more light coming. She slept quite soundly one time during the night. And, and she's bright. Before she was terribly sick. But as these things are rejected and as they're dealt with, so the light comes back into the face. And she's almost delivered, but not quite. So let's all pray for her now, shall we? Father, we thank thee for the victory that is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. How wonderful. And Father, we know that one of the greatest evidences to the victory of thy Son is what those evil things say about him and how they respond to his name. We remember how they said, We know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God, and they still know him as that. But they know him now as a risen, all-conquering Lord. And the power of that name can expel them when the authority is broken. And we pray for this dear girl, Father, that this day, this day, this day, she shall be delivered, fully delivered. She shall know the truth, and the truth shall make her free. And we ask that you give her, Father, great wisdom and the direct knowledge of thy will as revealed by thy spirit, step by step, until this girl is fully delivered by the grace of God and the power of thy spirit in the name of Jesus. And this we pray in Jesus' name with thanksgiving. Amen. <coughs> All right, let me give you another case. In 1956, the Southern Baptist invited my wife and I to go to the island for six months. We stayed for seven, actually, and have a week of meetings in some of their larger churches and also some series of meetings in their, in their seminary. The last church we went to was a certain church on the island, and when we walked into the house where the missionary lived, the missionary was on furlough at that time, I said to my wife, there's an unclean spirit in this house. You could feel the unclean spirit in the house. Of course, you were bombarded with an unclean thought. But there's an unclean spirit in this house. Strong spirit. And all through the week, I kept saying to my wife, this, this spirit's a strong spirit. Strong, very unclean spirit. So I mentioned it to the missionary, a very godly woman, who uh, had come down to take over the work whilst this missionary was on furlough. And I said to her, you have an unclean spirit in this house, a very strong unclean spirit. She said, how do you know that? I said, well, it's so. Well, ever since she had come down to live in this house, whilst the missionary was on furlough, she had been ill. She'd been nauseated. She'd been nauseated for nine months. All the doctors in the island had tried to help her, and none of them could. Miss Beatley came down and prayed for her. Nothing. She just nauseated all the time. So then she told me the story that the missionary in whose place she was at that time, sitting in, had been adulterous with a Chinese girl in the house. That gave that 
demon authority to stand in there. And he was in there. Then the mission went on for a while. He broke his neck in an automobile accident. Broke his back. Alright, what are you going to do? Well, you go around the house and you cleanse it. So I said, alright, we're going to cleanse this house. So we went round to every room, and in each room, simply pray a simple prayer, dejection. Of course, whenever you deal, or whenever you even speak about these things, or you deal with them, you pray a very simple prayer and say, Heavenly Father, I thank thee for the prote protection of the blood of Christ against all evil against all evil spirits, and I claim the manifestation of that protection now. In other words, as Dr. Koch, the great authority on demonization in the world today, tells us, you must place yourself under the protection of the blood of Christ. Now, you can forget about all the theologians who say this is not so. Those poor fellows. They've never dealt with a demon in their lives. The theorists, they write books about things they don't know anything about. It's all theory. So we went to each room, simple prayer, Heavenly Father, thank you for the protection of the blood of Christ. It began with that. Then each room, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, every evil spirit in this room or has ever been in this room, you must leave, you are bound, you cannot come back, you must go to the pit. Each room. Then we came to a room, sort of a small study. And as soon as we entered that room, I said, this is the study where this sort of thing took place. And she said, that's right. Why? Because you could feel the concentration. Very unclean. So we cleansed the house. You know what happened to her? Immediately, the nausea left. Immediately. Left. Gone. Now you say, but just a moment now, that was an adulterous spirit, an impure spirit, unclean spirit, call it what you will. Uh, that's not nausea. No, but you never get one demon on his own. He always has at least two buddies. So every one of them was nausea. But you see, when you took the authority away from this unclean spirit, he didn't have any authority. Because the authority had come through the unclean spirit. He had to go. He's gone. So the big word is authority. That's the big one. Don't ever give authority to the enemy. Let me remind you again that we live in a very unclean world, sexually. And it's getting worse and it will get worse, right up to the end. Now that is an area you cannot give quarter. You cannot give quarter. You cannot give quarter in heaven. You must live a life that's of purity before the Lord. You must set your mind That's why we don't put it in the little book of rules, but we don't have boys coming around and putting their hands on girls. That's out. Completely out. If anybody does that, you know what happens? They are out. No, you don't say that. Oh my, isn't that extreme? No, it's necessary. Necessary. Never engage in headache. 
If you're married, never engage in any sexual experience that has the slightest tint about it that might, it might not be accepted as correct. Don't do that. You're putting yourself right on the devil's side. Because the devil is a rebel against God's order. He's a rebel against God's order. That's why homosexualism is so very, very difficult to deal with. It's a rebellion against God's order. That's why it's so difficult to deal with. Very difficult to deal with. Very difficult indeed. Now remember that. It's a rebellion against God's order. God made a man in a certain way and he made a woman in a certain way. He had a purpose in making them as he made them. Don't you get out of that order of how your body is intended to function in the area of sex. Don't you get out of that order. You're right on the devil's territory. And you must never, never, never forget that. You're going to be confronted with it out in a filthy world. And it is filthy. It's rotten to the core. It's getting worse. It's getting putrefied. Past the point of rottenness is putrefaction there. And that's the world you go out into. Don't give ground to the devil. Don't give authority to the devil. And any experience any of you may have had in times past with any person of the opposite sex, which was not what God intended it to be, you must confess your sin and you must take back the ground that you gave the devil in that area of your life. Take it back. Know the prayer you have to pray. You don't come to have to go, go to anybody to pray that prayer. You just pray it quietly in your own room. But you pray it. You make sure that any ground you have given in the area of your sexual life in times past or anybody in any way, that you confess it. You confess it as wrong. You confess it as sin. You take back the ground that you gave the enemy in that area of your life. And you refuse and reject and renounce it and claim deliverance from it in the name of Jesus and you cut and sever all soul and psychic force with it. And you will experience deliverance. I'm not going to ask for any questions because we only have two minutes left. That covers the ground, perhaps a little superficially, but adequately. But always remember, the enemy doesn't have any power in your life that you haven't given him. Now, you may do it in ignorance. You may do it in ignorance, but nevertheless you do it. If one of the boys in Vietnam uh, one day or one night didn't know where he was and wandered into a camp of the North Vietnamese and said, I'm very sorry, boys, I, I was looking uh, for the American camp. Uh, Buy? Oh, no buy at all. Japanese camp didn't last too long. He's dead. And you may wonder if the enemies came through ignorance. But you'll pay the price for that. So this morning, let's trust we've taken some of the ignorance away. You won't fall for that through ignorance. That's very important. But very often it's not through ignorance. It's through allowing question marks in your life. Things you're not certain about. And you say, oh well. It's alright. But it's not alright. It's not alright. Remember the story I told you about the young English colonel who was greatly beloved by his battalion. He'd been with them right from the beginning of the war. Been through Dunkirk with them. He was at El Alamein before the big battle began. He came up into the front line trench and he wanted to have a look at the enemy forces and his adjutant, his, his brigade major, rather his <coughs> anti-com said to him, no, 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 please don't look over that trench. He said, the snipers are killing a lot of men up here. 
Germans had snipers, of course, picking up anybody, put his head up. And uh, he said, oh, I just want to have a quick glance. He said, said, please don't. Don't do that. He said, I just want to have a quick look. And he put his head up, bang, fell back in the trench dead with a hole through his head. Just one look up and he's gone. Dead. Don't you get around to Oh, well, this won't hurt, you know. I'd like to please so-and-so. He likes he likes me to do this, or she likes me to just forget he or she. You think of the Lord. Don't have question marks in your life. That's where the enemy gets you. We're going to continue our study this morning of demonology. If you have any questions, you may write them down. Give them to me. And I may answer them. When you approach a subject of this magnitude, uh, it's very unwise to ask for questions publicly because certain questions may arise which can be embarrassing to some and also questions that could not be approached or answered in detail in a mixed company. So if you have any questions... You may write them down, and I, if I do not answer them publicly, I certainly will answer them privately. Uh, I had a telephone call, uh, one last evening, yesterday afternoon, and another one this morning from this dear man who's dealing with his daughter. And I thought this morning he's the only person that, who knew nothing about dealing with demons that I've ever felt led to instruct very quickly and, and set him loose. <coughs> I'm sure the devils hated this fact because he's been with that girl hour after hour after hour. From three o'clock one morning through to late in the afternoon. But deliverance is coming. And yesterday she ate a meal for the first time in a long time. She slept soundly. They went for a walk together and she was quite normal until in the evening there came the screams. The interesting thing is this that Damien, excuse my ignorance of Damien, everybody who knows anything about the world knows about Damien. Uh, I'm glad I don't, but I've learned about him. Uh, also, learning about things with other people, too, tell me about him. But anyway, uh, this Damien fellow uh, is a demon. See, the demon who gets his contact through the book. That's his contact. And that had to be broken, of course, before he'd come out. Now, with Damien, and we were dealing with another demon that didn't identify himself, but we felt he was, well, we were convinced he was there, and that was fantasy. And now that I've learned what Damien is, obviously fantasy goes with Damien. You see that? Because it is fantasy. All this Star War business and all that junk, that's all fantasy. That's demonic. Fantasy is demonic. See, it's the opposite of reality. And in God's creation, you have reality. It's fantasy. All fantasy is demonic. You may not think so, but it is. You see what the enemy is doing to this country, don't you? I'm much more afraid. Well, I'm not afraid, really. I think I can say I'm not afraid of anything. I'm 
Why should I be afraid? Christ is in me. He has not given me a spirit of fear and he has not given you a spirit of fear. If you're afraid, it's only because you've chosen to be afraid. Or if you have a demon of fear, then you will be afraid because the demon is afraid and his fear will be manifest through you. But there's no need for a Christian to be afraid at any time. But I'm concerned. The, the problem or the future of this country is not with Russia. Her fall, her fall will come through this invasion of demon powers of this nation and they have invaded and especially through homosexualism. That's the biggest danger in this country because that thing grows like a cancer and it grows rapidly. It's a rapidly growing, spreading cancer. It's the biggest danger in this nation at the moment. Much, much more dangerous than the Russians. The Russians can't move a little finger without God's permission. But this other thing is different. <coughs> so we We'll continue to pray for this girl. I haven't given you a name, and I don't intend to. And I did mention she was from a certain city, but you must never, never, never tell anybody if you read to discuss this case, that the city from which she comes. You must not do that. But we thank God for deliverance. Now we come to a series of demons in the girl which are unclean. Never unclean. When, when we talk about an unclean spirit, we're talking. It's a general term. We're talking about various unclean sexual practices, and you can get up to half a dozen of these fellows. But they are different categories. See, when you say a demon of fear, that demon is a demon of fear. The person indwelt by the demon of fear is afraid. The person indwelt by a demon of anger gets angry see there's there's one name for the demon and that is a designation and that's what he is and that's what the person feels who's indwelt by the demon so a person when we say an unclean spirit all right the person is unclean but what has made the person unclean what kind of spirit you see a spirit of masturbation fornication adultery homosexual you name it there is uncleanness, but what caused the uncleanness? You've got to designate it. And you, you can't deal with it until you do. Because that's where their authority is. But you must get clearly in your mind that where you have a spirit is designated, that's what he is. So, all right, this girl is, has been living in a, a world of fantasy. Why? Because of Damien. With, with Damien's coming, there was fantasy. So the whole world has been a world of fantasy. Why? Because she's indwelt by the demon of fantasy, you see. So the demon manifests himself according to his category through the person in whom he is dwelling. You must be clear about that. And that's why when people say a Christian cannot be uh, indwelt by a demon, as I think I've told you before, I say, well, his kids play as far as you compare him with your fallen nature. Because you're just dealing with one designation with a demon. When you get into your fallen nature, he can change disguises. Your fallen nature can change disguises a hundred times in ten seconds. Come up with a religious disguise. Quote scripture. 
baptize him, put his name in the church roll. Next thing, he's engaged in some terrible sin. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, incurably wicked. So if a person says, how can you believe that a demon can indwell a child of God? I say, how can you believe that a fallen nature can indwell a child of God? I'd rather deal with any demon anyway than a fallen nature. We know, at least we know how to deal with demons. But when you come to the fallen nature, you come against ignorance, you come against pride, you come against all sorts of defenses that are in there to defend self. Very difficult. So let's be clear about one thing. When you speak about a demon, you're speaking about one manifestation through this demon. That's what he is, and that's what the person will experience. <clears throat> well, how do they come in? It's a good question. I remember one evening in Formosa, there was a, a dear lady visiting us from China, Miss Noack. She came from a family uh, that had given, I think, five missionaries to China. I think seven or eight children in the family, and five of them were missionaries in China, the CIM, and all of them unusual people. I met her brother in the Philippines, an unusual man, uh, probably the best linguist in CIM. And she also was a linguist, and her particular ministry was teaching illiterate uh, Chinese peasant women way out in Western China to read. But they were, they were very poor peasants. And there was a lot of demonization amongst them. And uh, the first manifestation of demonization would be they would begin to eat their forearms. I mean, eat the flesh. And uh, then they knew this was an evidence of demonization. I asked her how she dealt with them. And she said, well, we took them to the nearest church and had the believers come in relays and sing hymns of praise around the clock. <laughs> And that's how they were dealt with. Uh, evidently, if you got to a personal encounter with them and casting, that was a long process. But after about, depends on the power of the demon, 12 hours or 24 hours, he said, more, never more than 36 hours, the demon would scream his head and say, I can't stand it, I just can't stand it, I can't stand it, and whew, out he <laughs> So, you have... Luther's word, the devil, the proud spirit, cannot abide praise. The devil, the proud spirit, cannot abide praise. Very important. So I said to her, well, Miss Noack, how did these demons enter? She said, always one of three avenues. Excessive fear, excessive grief, excessive anger three areas. The excessive anger immediately indwelling. Now, the majority of the women demonized were widows. And a widow in China at that time, and I suppose even now, was the most helpless person in the country because she had nobody to provide for her. She had no standing whatsoever in the community. She was a widow. And who was going to care for her, especially if she had children? And she would then be subject to great fear. And then she, she had to mourn for several weeks when her husband died. And all this crying and moaning and mourning and grieving was another way they entered. 
So there are three three areas, excessive grief, excessive fear, and excessive anger. And of course, from that point, they manifested these three things. They were very much afraid. They could blow their top. You see? And they, they could quickly lean to self-pity and grief. <coughs> so you, you these, these demons are common demons, but you look for them in people who are demonized. You look for those. Now let me say this. Demon, you never get one demon in a person. It's at least three. And they're usually identified the one with the other. For instance, uh, with an unclean person, you'd have three different manifestations of the uncleanness. But never, never one on his own. With anger, you would almost certainly have uh, a combative spirit. And you might have a suicide spirit there. Or uh, a demon of death with anger. You see, they go together. But never one on its own. Another area of possession is through drugs. Drugs that cause passivity. There are certain drugs which cause a state of passivity. Now, a spiritist medium, uh, as you know, there are, there, there are seances where you have a spiritist medium. And the demon takes hold of the medium and speaks through the medium and so on. Now, before that medium can be indwelt by an evil spirit, that medium, and usually their women, must bring herself to a point of absolute passivity. That's when the demon comes in. That's why the Christian life is never one of passivity. It's an aggressive life, never passivity. When we say, Jesus, I'm resting, we're not saying I'm passive. I'm very active. You look through the Acts of the Apostles, you find aggressiveness there. The offensive spirit, you see. But never passivity. So, here again we have an attack on the nation through drugs. The drug culture is an open door for demonization. Then, rock music. Rock music, uh, cannibal chieftains who've been converted uh, in Africa tell us it's the beat that brings the demons. It's the beat that brings the demons. Rock music. Now these, these fellows ought to know. That's all I can say. They ought to know. It's been over there for millenniums. So you see, it's a, an attack on the nation through uncleanness, through drugs, rock music. Multiple attack. And all of these bring with them the possibility of demon possession in the individual who gives, gives himself or herself to them. Another means is handed down by ancestors. <clears throat> it's 
quite possible that this girl has one. She woke up in the night saying that this demon was from her grandfather, and it may be. And if he's in there, he's, he's strong. He's a strong demon. Dr. Koch, who I've mentioned from time to time, certainly the greatest living authority on demonization, said he dealt with a family in Germany that had had a demon for 300 years. Came down through the family 300 years. Handed on for 300 years. When I was in the Philippines back in all oh, about 54, 55, I was speaking at the Far Eastern Bible Institute and Seminary. It's a Bible school in Manila. It's a very fine school, very conservative. Uh, have about 120, 130 students at that time. And I was there for a week of meetings. And I was speaking in the evening on Romans. And I'd, I came about Thursday evening to Romans 6. One of the students began to behave very strangely. And he was roaming round the uh, campus all that afternoon saying to, the, saying to the students, you're not going to the meeting tonight, are you? You're not going to that meeting. There's no need for you to go to that meeting. There's no, just don't go. I thought, well, this is strange. So he did not go to the meeting himself. He went to his room. And the dean of students, a very fine man, he found this fellow in his room, making all sorts of strange noises. And when he spoke to him, he stood up and he glared at him and went to attack him. So he knew there was something wrong, so he shut the door. <laughs> <laughs> he shut the door, and the meeting was just about over. So he came to me and said, you tell me about it. So I went across and uh, saw the boy. He had that glazed look about his eyes. And so I, uh, I got him to kneel down and pray with me. Well, I was praying, and I looked up, and here he was sort of almost in a drunken, you think it was a drunken stupor, and he, he, he grabbed hold of this big broom or rake or something, I don't know what it was, and he's going to hit me with it. So uh, Anyway, that started dealing with this fellow. Well, he had all sorts of demons. One moment he'd be roaming around the floor like a pig, grunting like a pig, and and uh, all sorts of, of demons, but everyone came out except two, and these two he would not renounce. They'd been given him by his grandmother, and every full moon he would go out and converse with them in the field, and they told him that if he renounced them, they would kill him, so he would not renounce them. And it was a very sad thing. He was a student there, of course, and they had to let him go. They had to let him leave the school because he would not renounce those demons. Of course, the others, because he would not renounce them, kept coming back. See, still an open door. And these two buddies wouldn't just invite them in. They'd come back, so they're dealing with these demons all the time, day and night. So they said, no, no way. We're neglecting our true ministry here, and it's upsetting the whole thing. So he had to go. It was very sad, but it was a classic case of a person being handed <coughs> demons or given demons by uh, an elder in the family. And very interesting that on Sunday evening I was having, I also had some meetings. I, after those meetings, I, I remember I had the final meeting Sunday night in a, in, a, in a big auditorium in Manila. It was a gospel meeting. And after the gospel meeting, I, I met Dr. Koff for the first time. 
I was leaving the following morning for Japan and he'd just flown in and he's going to be in the Philippines for about a month. So I told him about this boy and he said he would go out to uh, school and speak with him, which he did. Now here's, here's an interesting thing. If people say uh, you can't be demonized or a Christian can't be demonized. Now, was this boy a Christian? Yes, he certainly was. He was a leader of a communist cell before he was converted. And the communists are very, very powerful in the Philippines. But, and and their, their structure is of cells. Now, the man in charge of a cell only knows another cell. That's all he knows. He knows the person in charge of that cell, but he doesn't know anything else. That's why it's so hard to pin. But he was in charge of a cell. Now, if a man betrays his cell, he's killed. And he knew that. He knew they would be after him to kill him. But when he was converted, he went to the police and he exposed his cell and he exposed the cell next to him. And for that, a sentence of death was on his head. Yes, he was. This boy was a Christian. There's no doubt about that. He, he had repented of everything he could repent of, but he was he would not renounce those two demons. But Dr. Koch is quite a linguist. He spoke about five or six languages fluently, and he could get by in another five. You know, just get by. So when he went out of this school, this boy, the demons took hold of him, went into sort of trance. And Koch spoke in 11 different languages, or 11 languages to that boy, and out of his mouth came an answer in the same language. Now, he knew two languages, Tagalog and English, but he spoke in those 11 languages. And there was a demon in him. A demon in him spoke back to God. So people tell you that people can't be demonized. <laughs> Nine languages he'd probably never heard of in his life. He spoke those languages. A voice within him spoke the language. Now it brings us to another thing. How can a demon indwell the body that's indwelled by the Holy Spirit? Well, he indwells the soul. He latches onto the soul. He doesn't indwell the spirit, obviously. He wouldn't feel at home in the spirit. He latches onto the soul. That's why the demons could take the vocal cords and use them. That's why they can take the hands and commit murder. Your body is under the direct control of your soul. That's what he wants. He wants control of your body. He wants control of your mind. He wants control of your emotions. He wants control of your imagination. Now you come with the theologians, and of course the theologians are interesting characters, most of them. They know absolutely nothing about demonization. They are theorists. And all they've got is their books and no experience. They say, why an individual cannot be indwelled by a demon? And you may know you have dichotomists and trichotomists, that is, those that say uh, you have a soul which can be a spirit or soul interchangeably, but it's the one thing. You don't have a soul and a spirit, which is called a dichotomy. Then you have a trichotomy. A lot of Presbyterian theologians are dichotomists, you see. Well, they cannot accept the fact that a Christian is indwelt by, a, by an evil spirit because they'd have to accept the fact that he indwelt the spirit. And they can't accept it. Uh, this man who writes so much on counseling cannot accept it. Uh, what is his name? 
Adams, that's the man. I, never think, I must think of Adam when I think of him. <laughs> uh, Jay Adams, he can't accept a Christian being demonized. Why? Because he's a dichotomist and Presbyterian background. So you better junk your theology and come to reality. When I spoke to Koch about this, he, he, he was very forthright about it. He says, American theologians don't do anything. <laughs> oh, yeah, he did. He said, I don't know anything about this. He said, they're very ignorant, but they're very adamant about something they don't know anything about. But I'm sorry to say he wouldn't say that in public because he, he had quite a few lectures in the United States in these various places, but he'd always avoid the question. If only he'd have been come right out and been forthright about it and said, you dumb donkeys, listen to what I have to say. <laughs> but he didn't say that. <coughs> oh, yes. Sad to say, a Christian. In fact, I won't deal with a person unless they profess to know the Lord. What's the point? They'll only come back again. They're just going to come back. And we learned that the hard way. We, we dealt with a friend of mine, and, and I dealt with a man here in the city. He's, he's just a pitiful character. He'd come back about once every month to be delivered. And he'd be delivered once every month. And so the demons would say to us, ah, we'll be back. They used to they thought it was a big joke. We'll be back. He's weak. And they did come back. So we said to him, finally, listen, if you're not going to come to the Lord and make him Lord of your life and let him take over your life, there's not the slightest use coming back. And he cried and went on and handed us a little bottle of poison that he was about to take to take his life, and it would have killed him. So we dealt with him again three or four times and and it was interfering. You see, it interferes with your ministry. It would take a couple of hours to get rid of these characters. And so he said, well, unless you come to the Lord, you come. That's it. And so about three months later, he did commit suicide. But he would not come to the Lord. He would not come to the Lord. And it's tragic. He had ample opportunity, a dozen times perhaps, to come to the Lord, but he wouldn't. And uh, evidently, he was very much afraid of his mother. Uh, the tie was too strong there. And he would have come to the Lord, if I remember correctly, but for his mother. Why? I don't know. But in any case, he didn't. And you must be careful of having, especially if you're married, of having ties that are too strong with others, with anybody else other than your husband or your wife. You leave and cleave. That's a very important word. It's much more important than most people think. You leave and you cleave. Very important. But now another means of transmission, or we might call it of, of being demonized, we might call it transmission, is the laying on of hands. Don't ever let anybody lay hands on you that you don't believe is a godly person. Don't you ever let anybody do that. I've dealt with people demonized and I've traced it back to that. That's usually the first thing I ask them. I ask them, have you ever been in Pentecostal meeting and you've had somebody lay hands on you? 
Now, I'm not saying all Pentecostal meetings are demonic, but I'm saying some are, and I've proved it by people I've dealt with. My advice to you is never go to a Pentecostal meeting. Now, I know there's some very fine Pentecostal brothers, and I have them in Japan, very fine men, especially from Europe. There are others who are demonized, and how are you going to tell? Best thing is just keep away from them. In 1959, at the big conferences in Karuzawa, went for missionaries, about five or six hundred missionaries gathering together. That year I was the president of the EMAJ, which was the Evangelical Missionary Association of Japan. And we always invited two outside speakers, two men from other countries, to speak to the missionaries in Karazawa. And being the president, I was chairman of the meetings and had a great deal to say as to who would speak and what order we would follow. So we did only invited one man, it was Dr. Koch that year, and he lived, would live in our home with us for two weeks. And we sort of, you know, had a vacant spot over here, so I decided we would put various missionaries and they would speak in the evening. Well, one day before the conferences commenced, uh, this very famous Pentecostal man arrived, his Lutheran preacher, Harold Bredesen, and he'd uh, achieved some notoriety or some fame through some meetings he'd had at Yale University. And there was supposed to be this great moving of the spirit at Yale University, and it was reported in Time magazine. So here he arrives in Japan. And of course, all the Pentecostal brethren from all these countries in the world, Norway and Sweden and Germany and Canada and England and Australia, you name it, they all converged on my doorstep. So if I'd have known what I know now, I'd have sent Anna to the door. <laughs> but I didn't. And here is your man. Here's your man. God has sent him. So I took one look at him and decided God hadn't sent him. I was convinced the devil had sent him. That's how I pray about it. So they came back in the afternoon. He's your man. I said, no, I'm not convinced he's my man. Well, you find out that not all Pentecostalist people are holy. <laughs> <laughs> They'd have chewed me up into little pieces and, and, and just spit me out on the ground. I mean, they were angry. They said, we're resigning. I said, well, I'll resign with you. That's fine. What's wrong with that? That's a good idea. I've just about had this myself, so let's resign together. <laughs> well, anyway, they couldn't get him to speak in the meeting. So they said, well, we're going to have a meeting uptown at Verona. I said, well, that's fine. That's your business. You can do what you like in this town. So they hired a hall in the town, just a small town. And let, them, let it be known, there'd be a meeting. Any of the missionaries could come. A lot of missionaries went. There was a little band of missionaries who had had some contact with tongues and they'd been deceived by it. Left their missions and they formed a little show of their own over on the coast of Hokkaido. But the whole thing fell apart. Because they said, what's needed in Japan is signs and wonders. It's the only thing that can meet the need of the Japanese. And this is supernatural <laughs> sort of thing. The way they went, well, the bottom fell out of it. And they were... But they still weren't convinced that the answer was anything but signs and wonders because the great need in Japan. 
So they banded themselves together and they prayed. And they said, Lord, if this man is of you and he's got something to say to us, you give him liberty in this meeting this afternoon. We'll listen to what he says. If he's not of you, then don't let him speak. Very simple prayer. And they sat in that auditorium, just, just a little band, maybe five or six of them. And Bredesen came out on the platform, stood there for about a minute, and said, I'm not going to speak today. And walked up. I have no liberty to speak. So that was good enough for me. I didn't need any more uh, truth than that. My advice is to never go to a Pentecostal meeting. And I would say that to Pentecostals if they were here. Don't ever go to those meetings and don't ever let a Pentecostal lay hands on you. He could be demonized. Because I've had cases like this, and not just one or two either. So it's invariably the first thing I ask people. Transmission through the laying on of hands. The other one I don't like to speak of. I'll do it as quickly as I can. But we have to face it whether we like it or not. There can be a transmission of a demon in sexual intercourse with a person who is demonized. And if that takes place, there is a strange power over the demonized person who transmitted the demon to the person with whom there was intercourse. A strange power controlling them in that area of their life, henceforth, until it's broken. Now, that's not fantasy as far as I'm concerned. I know this to be a fact through dealing with people. So that if a person has intercourse with a demonized person and has received from that person a demon, he can, we might say, or she can transmit that demon to another person with whom she is intimate. This is very, very important that you understand that. So these are methods of, or means of transmission that the devil uses. Now, don't read horoscopes. You get these horoscopes, Gene Dixon things, and others. Keep away from them. You write on enemy territory. Of course, a Ouija board is deadly. These movies, I don't know what they're like. Yeah. I remember when I was converted, about a week later, my sister took me to a movie back in 1938. In the little Bible class she was in, a very godly woman was teaching this Bible class, and she took me along to the Bible class. And, uh, of course, movies were out with these people. My sister was playing hooky and went to the movie, took Joey with her. <laughs> so, <laughs> Joey goes along. Well, it wasn't Joey. I was 18. It was Joseph at that time. It was Joey before that. Uh... And so this, this dear godly lady said, and where were you last Thursday evening, you know? I said, oh, we were at the pictures. <laughs> My poor sister. <laughs> she nearly died. <laughs> we never again <laughs> went to the movies. <laughs> that, that cured my sister. And I didn't know it was wrong. I thought, was, you know, what's wrong with that? I haven't been to a movie since. Look at what I've missed. <laughs> Do they edify? 
movies out of sight. That's the world. Even if you, they say, what about the good movies? Well, it depends what you call good. But I wouldn't give the Lord's money to see a good movie so the movie industry can produce a bad one. Even if I didn't have any convictions about it. I wouldn't do that. Because from what I hear, they're unbelievable. All right. You go in for that and you'll get it. And you'll get more than you want. <coughs> Newspapers. You read a newspaper, you come to this particular portion where they're, they're uh, advertising the movies. The thing is filthy. You either pass it over quickly or just tear it out and put it in the trash can. Especially if you have young children. Especially if you have teenagers. <coughs> it's dangerous. That can excite the emotions, put pictures into the person's mind. The devil work on those things. So you have movies and TV, certain things on TV. So you say, oh, well, all this stuff, what do you mean? Well, listen, there's a verse you're all familiar with. Ye walked according to the course of this world. What's next? According to the prince of the power of the air. What does that mean? Before you were converted, you are under the absolute domination and rulership and dictatorship of Satan. That's what it means. You walked according to his will. That's what it means. You were not a free agent. You did what he wanted you to do. You must realize that. That's why it's so imperative that you be taken out of that kingdom and brought into this kingdom and don't go looking back at that kingdom. There's nothing there for you. You don't belong there. That's darkness. That's his kingdom. He's got control of that kingdom out there. He's got control of that movie industry. It's his. He's got control of that TV thing out there, too. And don't you think he hasn't? The Lord certainly doesn't control it. Now, you get, you get that very clearly in your mind, that the person who's not redeemed is walking according to the will of Satan. He thinks he's a free agent. He's anything but a free agent. He's got all these trinkets out there, and worse than trinkets, to just keep him occupied until he gets him into hell. That's why it's absolutely essential that when a person comes from that kingdom to that kingdom, they renounce Satan and they crown Christ king and walk according to his will. Without that, there is no conversion. How could there be? It's a conversion from what? Well, from that to this. Well, our time is gone. That's one more word. Tomorrow, of course, we have a day of prayer.
uh, when you are looking for immunization in a person, you look for a compulsive element, compulsion. In other words, something taking hold of the person and making them do what they would not normally want to do. Making them do what they would not normally want to do. For instance, a lying spirit. I've had people come to me and say, open my mouth, now it comes a lie. I didn't, I didn't mean to utter those words, but the lie came out. And it was so. One of the finest Christians, Christian girls I knew, I, well, I, I knew her, not here now, in this city, was, had a lying spirit. And until the lying <coughs> spirit was cast out, she just used to tell lies. She's on the mission field today. She's lied. Had a lying spirit. Another girl, she was 19, every time she would go to bed at night, she had to take her mother with her to a bedroom because she was scared to death of the dark. She had a spirit of fear. Spirit of fear cast out, no problem. I mean, these, they just, these are just very, very simple ones. Very simple. The big ones, well, some of the big ones are sexual. Uh, I never, I'm never comfortable with these things because you feel like you need to go and have a good bath after you've talked about them. Yeah. The bottom of the list, of course, is filth. He's right on the bottom. But above filth, you have certain Demons that I've dealt with, been named. Masturbation is one. I won't say how you can always tell if a person has that demon, but there's a way you can tell by certain things that happen after you name them. Homosexual, of course. Oral sex, a demon. Very much a demon. Everything that isn't natural in the realm of sexual experience, as far as, well, I wouldn't say as far as I can tell, every, every category that is possible, I've identified as demonic and dealt with them because people have been delivered from them. That's a very dangerous area. Why should we pray? <clears throat> One word of warning as we bow in prayer. Don't you go around trying to deliver people. Demons are very tricky, very slippery. You might say, well, why did I let this man do this? Well, he's telephoning me two times a day. And he's a very courageous man, he's a very intelligent man, and praise God, he's a very determined man. <clears throat> but don't you start trying it now. A demon can slip very quickly from one person to another, and if you put yourself on the wrong ground, he's going to give you some trouble. I mean, real trouble. Because very often, after you've dealt with a demon and cast out a demon, 
particular category of demon, not that demon that you dealt with, another one of the same kind will attack you. And suddenly you, you find yourself uh, about to blow your top, or you find yourself uh, with a very, very unclean thought. But you're simply being attacked by that demon, that category of demon you dealt with, and that's no joke. And it may take you a whole day to fight the thing off. So don't you go thinking, well, I'm just going to say this and that, and this is going to happen. Don't be deceived by that. This is for your information, not for action, unless you've got your back to the wall. Father, we pray that you would save your young servants from being afraid. There's nothing to be afraid of. Greater is he that is in them than he that is in the world. And we know that the person who's walking in the spirit cannot be indwelt by a demon. That is impossible. But we thank thee for the warnings that we have from your word and from experience from church history. And experience is church history. We pray that there will be that set will, strengthened by the Spirit of God, never to give ground to these evil things. We thank thee that we have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And a sound mind does not indulge in fantasy, but is fixed upon the one <coughs> who is the great deliverer. And for this we give thee our praise and our thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.